The first thing about cover crops is cover crops mean different things to different people. Because one of the main functions these days is to try and reduce nitrate loss to, to water, which is causing more and more problems uh, in terms of how it's feeding into legislation. But it can also be good for, for the actual soil itself and in terms of giving benefits to, to the next crop. Yeah, in terms of the actual measurements that we've done, like we've shown that these cover crops are very good at reducing leaching, provided you can sow them early, and that's probably one of the key messages here today. The Jargus Crops Open Day took place in Oak Park, Carlow, three weeks ago, but I think it's still fresh in many people's minds. For those who attended, there was a lot to see. However, there may well have been areas missed by participants on the day. In this show, I will bring you some more highlights from the Open Day. You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We would really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. This is the third of four shows from the Crops Open Day. And in this episode, I will focus on establishment systems, cover crops and the Tillage Signpost Farm program. I first caught up with Jack Jameson, a PhD student in Chagas, who's looking at different establishment systems and farmers' perceptions about these systems. I then chatted to John Mann, the Chagas signpost advisor, to talk about how small changes on farms can be of great benefit to the environment. Finally, I caught up with Richie Hackett, a crops researcher in Oak Park, to talk about cover crops and how they have multiple uses for farmers. But first, let's hear from Jack about the different establishment systems and the perceptions farmers have about these systems. There's two main trials. So the first one is a traditional trial um, in Knockbeg here in Chagas. So I suppose the, the main thing we're noticing is that when uh, crops are all sown at, at the same time in the middle of October, direct drill crops are lagging behind, you know, at mid-tillering, uh, first node and second node. But by, by the time the flag leaf has emerged, I suppose, uh, direct drill has caught up with both plough and min-till systems, you know. And what about the grass weeds? It's difficult enough in a normal system, but within that kind of tight space system that you're in there in terms of different rotations within the middle of, of a trial, how are you coping with grass weeds? It's a significant challenge, especially um, in, in our replicated trial. Like this year, we, we were majorly challenged by brome. We had some, uh, I wouldn't call it a real disaster, but there was significant, significant pressure. And um, we're really going to have to tailor our um, weed control strategy to try to get after that. But um, it's going to be a real challenge. I suppose it's tricky out on farm as well. Speaking, speaking about out on farm, uh, you, you have been to an awful lot of farms. You're interviewing the farmers and trying to get a, a view on their, on, on their perceptions of how their system is working versus others. You might give us a, some, a flavour of some of the results from that. OK, yeah. So uh, there was a few different things we were trying to ascertain, I suppose. So we uh, talked to 154 farmers uh, who were managing about 29,000 hectares. So we wanted to see where they were getting their information from. Um, for different decision types, how they were accessing the information and where that information was generated. So for example, I suppose for major change decisions, so if they were adopting a new system or something like that, we found that plough-based growers favoured Chagas Advice and Irish Research and non-plough growers favoured uh, UK Research, International Research and Base Ireland. So that's sort of a function of, we haven't very much work done in Ireland on non-plough systems, so growers are being forced to go further afield for um, knowledge they're requiring, you know. And was there anything else that kind of came out of that in terms of the, the differentials between plough and non-plough based people? Yeah, look, look there was a, a variety of different questions. There was over 90 questions in the survey. One interesting one was around glyphosate. So I suppose we asked growers um, if uh, glyphosate was to be banned in the future, um, how would they get on in a plough, min, tiller, directorial systems? Um, positively, I suppose all growers, no matter what system they were using, identified that things would get very difficult without glyphosate. But uh, we found that the rectorial growers were a little bit more optimistic um, 
which was uh, quite interesting given the pressure they'd be under without it, you know. And now we'll go across to John Mann to talk about the Tillage Signpost programme. The main interest, I suppose, was uh, the, the variation that we have of the uh, 10 different uh, farmers uh, that we have participating as demonstration farms on the Signpost Tillage programme. Um, while many of them would have common, common themes uh, running on their farm, um, we have uh, varied uh, establishment methods from ploughing right through to strip till and min till. And then we have individuals doing uh, precision farming and uh, we have uh, quite an interesting um, concept then of, of applying organics then in, in crop as well. On top of that, uh, we would have a specialist uh, pig farmer um, a cattle enterprise and then an organic enterprise Very well. varied. So I see um, in terms of programme objectives, there's a, there's a few major ones in there around water quality and maximising carbon sequestration. Are they in order in terms of kind of from top to bottom or is there one more important than another? No, Michael. Um, the, the, the overall aim of, of it would be to minimise the greenhouse gas emissions. In co with that, and we, we need to improve the water quality, and the third part of the equation would be the biodiversity. But I suppose it, with all of that, the farm financial stability would, would have to go hand in hand with all of those. So we're ma trying to maximise our carbon sequestration on those farms. Now, while tillage has quite a low uh, sustainability footprint, um, probably the, 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 the figure at the moment would be 1.3 tons per hectare of CO2 equivalents. Um, we, we, we have options there of several of different steps in which can contribute to, to bring that down further. Okay, John, you have, um, and farmers, farmers must have been interacting with this, but we have 12 steps to reduce those gaseous emissions on, on a tillage farm, and you have a really nice looking board here, a magnetic board with, with the various different ones in it that people could choose from, from one to 12 in terms of what was going to be easier or harder to implement. How did that go with farmers? Did many interact with it? Yeah, John, it was just a new concept that we, we, we rather than us tell them what we think are the, the the best 12 steps and and in a particular order. Um, I just thought it might be interesting, Michael, just if we had some sort of an interactive board. So we have a magnetic board and we've, we have 12 different, uh, different steps and we could have had more steps, to be honest with you, even with the debate that, that uh, we had during the day. But um, what, what I asked people to do was try and, try and assess from the easiest to implement to the hardest to implement on their particular farm. And it was very, very interesting because, uh, ironically, some, some people who would have had number one, the easiest to implement on their farm, might have been number 10 or 12 on someone else's farm. But all of the time, uh, it, 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 it probed people to actually just think about what's, what's happening on their farm and the different, the different uh, steps that they can actually take to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. I, I, I was watching you interact with a couple of farmers there a few minutes ago where where the two farmers were actually getting in a bit of a, uh, an over and back in terms of which was best for their farm versus the other farm. Is that a common theme you might have seen here today? Yeah, actually, it was very interesting, Michael, that um, when we had uh, several people on the, on the farm, um, the debate got going actually on, on, on what might be uh, easier or, or, or harder to implement on their particular farms. And then there are various other ways you could... Uh, you could um, do the same concept for which which might have the the, the quickest uh, effect on the greenhouse gas emissions on the farm or or the most costly. 
And now we'll head across to Richie Hackett to chat about cover crops and how they can be useful to farmers. We have done a lot, lot of work on, on cover crops and, and I suppose the first thing about cover crops is cover crops mean different things to different people. Uh, I suppose one of the main functions these days is to try and reduce nitrate loss to, to water which is causing more and more problems uh, in terms of how it's feeding into legislation. Um, but it can also be good for, for the actual soil itself and in terms of giving benefits to, to the next crop. Yeah, in terms of the actual measurements that we've done, like we've shown that these cover crops are very good at reducing leaching, provided you can sow them early. And that's probably one of the key messages here today is that these, these cover crops, the earlier you can sow in August, the better uh, in terms of nitrate reduction, but also in terms of benefits to, to, to the next crop and benefits to, to the soil. So you, you, you've done some work whereby sowing it early in August versus late in August had some very dramatic differences in terms of the cover crop you had in front of you. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so what we were finding is you were losing roughly two tonnes per hectare uh, uh, of dry matter for every two-week delay in, in, in sowing date from early August until, until early September. So that, that's quite a dramatic drop-off in growth. And most growers that have sown cover crops in September will know that they don't come to, to, to very much uh, in, in any season. And what you're thinking then in terms of putting in cover crops with an entire rotation out in the farm? Is there kind of golden rules or not out there? I suppose there, there's, uh, there are certain things you shouldn't do um, and, and if you have a good rotation it makes choosing a, 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 a cover crop particularly difficult. If you have oilseed rape in, a, in, in your rotation you should uh, avoid uh, brassicas if at all possible because they're likely to increase problems with, with club root. If you have a lot of uh, if you have beans or something in your in, in your rotation, you should perhaps avoid legumes or at least legumes in the immediate immediately preceding the, the legume uh, the bean crop. Um, and, and so there there are compli- complications involved if you have a, a good rotation to start out with. If if you're just growing spring barley after spring barley after spring barley, uh, then you have a, a lot more freedom in terms of what, what what you can use. And you talked about legumes there. You've a little bit of work there to show that uh, including the legumes can help in terms of nitrogen reduction in following crop is that every year or is that some years only yes so certainly that the legumes can t- take fixed nitrogen out of the air and they're adding nitrogen into the system whereas all the other uh, cover crops are just taking what's already in the soil uh, but because they have a, a very high nitrogen concentration in them relative to other crops uh, they release that quite quickly and and uh, that can lead to uh, that nitrogen can feed into the next crop and you can reduce your, your fertilizer nitrogen but it's it's not easy to predict by exactly how much you should reduce your, your fertilizer nitrogen. So that's it for this week. And my thanks to Jack, John and Richie for joining me on the show. In next week's show is the final update from the Oak Park Open Day. And we will chat about agronomy issues around BYDV, barley diseases, and also the health benefits which can be derived from barleys. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.